Welcome to Truth Triumphant Radio. I'm your host, Cody Mori, And today I wanted to continue our discussion in the first, second, and third angel's message. We are now in the third angel's message. We took a few in the first angel's message because, again, everything pivots off that. So as we look at the third angel's message, which I intend to do today, we will see exactly why it's so important to understand that first angel's message. If you remember the first angel's message, it has the everlasting gospel that was to preach unto all the world. And then the the loud voice that was given was, was fear God, which talks about keeping the commandments, and give glory to him, which talks about diet, taking care of our body temples, and bearing the fruits of the spirit. And of course, evangelism focus as well. That's all. That's all in there. And worship him. So the issue is a worship issue in the first angel's message. Uh, him who made the heaven and earth and the seas and all that in them is. And we saw that that pointed directly to the the worship related commandment of the Sabbath. There's a, there's other worship related commandments, but the one that is directly related to the creation. The one that has a reference to the creation in it is the Sabbath commandment. So that's that's the one being highlighted there. And then, of course, we talked about 1844 and the judgment message, the hour of his judgment is come. So there's there's a message of judgment that's in there as well. And Christ entering into the most holy place and... And from there, he's been carrying forward that final work of atonement ever since. And you got to wonder, you really got to wonder how much longer um, is it going to be going on? Probably not much longer, especially when we see the things uh, unfolding. I really, really, I really believe now from some of the things I've just, that I've been seeing in the last few weeks with individuals who were once very peace-loving individuals, and even a Christian denominationally, and and they are talking about they are talking about rising up and getting violent because of the things going on. As we know, we have this uh, insane border situation going on. I think it was one hundred and seventy thousand individuals in one month it's it's something just completely unheard of it, it would in other times it would be considered an all-out invasion and, and and by many it is um by many it is today but it's not being called that in the the media and kamala harris who's supposed to be taking spear point uh, you know tip of the spear on that has not even shown her face down there as far as i know also, interestingly, I don't know if a lot of you have been paying attention recently, but there was a there was a panel discussion with between Rand Paul and Anthony Fauci, where Anthony Fauci kept repeating that um, the NIH and the N and the NAID NAID categorically, he said, categorically did not send money to fund um, 
the coronavirus that we have today from the Wuhan laboratories. And any, any type of research that would involve working on a virus and making it more deadly. I forgot the terminology that they use there, but there's a specific terminology, but they kept, he kept saying that they, they never did. This is interesting because this was something that was actually brought up last year uh, around this time, maybe actually a couple, a couple of months earlier, um, maybe a month or two earlier from now. It was a Newsweek article where they, where they mentioned that Anthony Fauci had given 3.6, I believe, million dollars to the Wuhan laboratories. And I believe he did that twice. So it ended up being seven, 7 million and some change. This is under the Obama administration. So undoubtedly Obama uh, had something to do with the approval process or, or knowing about it in some way. Um, but either way, that's what took place. And I guess, I guess the reason that Fauci could say that they categorically did not fund it directly is because I think they used, um, some reports are coming out that they used something called the ESA, which is the environmental, I don't know what the, I don't know what the uh, acronym exactly stands for, something with the environment. And they used that agency as basically as an intermediary where they sent the money there and then the money was sent over to the Wuhan laboratory. But, you know, I, I really just, I really think that the stuff that's going on right now is all designed um, to make Democrats Republicans and to, to make people so angry and so distraught. Now, inflation is going crazy. Gas prices are going crazy. We just had that hack over in um, Houston with the pipeline down there and people have been going crazy even here in Florida about about gas there's always some kind of shortage and you know praise the lord i was able to share with someone about i was able to share with somebody about things that are going on cuz they said what's going on with this gas thing now and i i told them i said you know this stuff's just going to keep happening it's just going to it's just going to keep happening and keep happening and keep happening cuz we are told that the scenes of the French Revolution will be repeated. And what led up to the scenes of the French Revolution? Well, the leadership, it appeared, this is the way the Jesuits made it appear, um, that the aristocracy and the leadership in France did not care anything at all about the people. Now, that's partially, probably partially true and, and probably partially not wholly true as well. But... Nonetheless, that was that was what the perception was of the people until finally they they just rose up in, in complete mob rule and they started killing their leadership. And you see, Rome's okay with that. Rome is really okay. They don't care who they sacrifice because as long as the whole world comes back under her umbrella again, it doesn't matter who they need to sacrifice. They'll sacrifice popes. They'll sacrifice leaders they'll sacrifice their catholics they'll sacrifice their greatest allies as long as the church in the end is the victor so and the gainer in the end uh so that ties in very much so with with the third angel's message because the third angel's message 
is a loaded message. It's all about the first angel's message. Again, it's a message of judgment. It's a mess. It's a final warning that's given. And it's also a call to a certain type of ministry, which is revealing the identity of the beast, the image, the mark of the beast, and the Antichrist. But it also has to do with, if you remember, talking about diet, everything pivots off the first angel. So in the third angel's message, diet is important again. And I'm kind of oversimplifying because I, I have to get through uh, a, a quite a bit today. But let's take a look at Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 through 12. It says this, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up for ever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So, wow, there's a lot in there. Actually, as far as words go, this is the longest message. It's longer than the first angel's message. And that's even if you're including the verse prior to where it says, Three angels are in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell in the earth. Well, this actually is a, the longest message out of all three of them. If you remember, the second angel's message was only just one verse. This is actually a total of four. So it starts off, and not, not surprisingly, but uh, very interestingly, it starts off with mentioning worship again. So where did we start with worship over in the first angel's message? Well, worship was directly connected to the Sabbath. So it, just without even going any further, when it says, if any man worship the beast in his image, if we're remembering that the third angel's message pivots, hinges off the first angel, like the first angel's trying to tell you what to do, and this angel is telling you what not to do, it would only make sense, you know, if God was talking to us, if he was having a conversation with us, if the two would be related, right? I mean, that would be contextually accurate. That would be someone in context saying, hey, do this, and also don't do this, which is the opposite of the right thing to do. So it's the other side of the coin. It's the flip side. So this without even it's very interesting without even having to to do much research there at all and, and i'll mention a couple verses here from passages and, and and some sources but without having to do much research at all if you think about it that way that understanding the first angel's message is your guideline to how god wants us to be and this message is is this message like the final warning that you get you could see that the worship issue that's going to be in the last days is going to have something to do with a Sabbath and a false Sabbath. So a false Sabbath, a false Sabbath will be the issue, according to the to verse 9 of Revelation chapter 14. 
But it says, if any man worship the beast and his image and receiveth his mark in his forehead or in his hand. So we start off with who is the beast? Because there are a lot of marks. Um, there's a lot of worship issues. There's a lot of false Sabbaths out there. There's different, like for instance, Islam. Islam's Sabbath day, uh, or their worship day, if you will, is Friday. It's Friday. So there are, there are, what we want to find out is what is the mark of the beast? That's what we need to find out. So we have to know who the beast is in order to understand what their mark is going to be. So if we go to Rev just one, one chapter back, if we go to Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the names of blasphemy. Well, if you take a look at all those characteristics there, we can easily find that they point us back to the Roman Catholic Church. The sea, according to Revelation chapter 17 and verse 10, the seas are multitudes and nations and tongues and peoples. So it, it's this beast rises up out of a uh, out of a very populous area. Rome, obviously, used to be the seat of the Roman Empire, very populated area. And Europe, that whole region over there, very highly populated area for, for a long time. Now it says it has seven heads and ten horns. Well, if you look at the divisions of Rome after it started to decline, it declined into ten kingdoms. Eventually, three of those kingdoms were uprooted by the roots, which is what Daniel chapter 7 talks about, the little horn power that rises up and uproots three horns. And those three horns were the three Germanic tribes which were wiped off the face of the earth. And that would represent the Ostrogoths, that would also represent the Heruli, and that would also represent the Vandals, who were finally defeated in 538 A.D., all three, not not all three of them at the same time, but the final one was defeated in 538 A.D., which led to the rise of the papacy as the great power in Europe. And she sent her bishops to every country, and every country basically had to do Rome's will, or they'd put the city or whatever under under interdict, and basically condemn all the people to hell and people being without the Bible at that time, because they took the Bible away. They were very superstitious, and they would like rise up against their, their leaders if they wouldn't do something to, to get Rome to take the interdict off of their, their, their village. Last rites wouldn't be performed, things like that. So, ten horns. So we see the ten horns there. This is also talking about the end times as well. If you look at the Club of Rome, the Secret Society, the Club of Rome. They came out in the 1970s with a a plan to, to divide 
the entire world into 10 distinct regions in which they would rule. I mean, can you get more obvious than that? The Club of Rome. I mean, it, it's amazing the times we're living in. You have people nowadays that will stand up in front of, of, of uh, you know, the nation. Just like when Hillary Clinton was running for president, she had Senator Tim Kaine running with running with her and and they would talk about oh he's he's got a jesuit education it's such a great thing it's really in your face now and in a way that's kind of an advantage uh but in another way it's kind of sad that they feel like they can do that but anyways again the club of rome that's a pretty in your face thing as far as i'm concerned it says and upon his head's the name of blasphemy again if you look in the bible and I'm kind of try, trying to go quickly here, so, so forgive me for that. But if you look in the Bible, Jesus was, was accused of blasphemy twice. Okay, The first time he was accused of blasphemy was when he claimed the power to forgive sins. All right? does, does the papacy, does the Roman Catholic Church power claim the power to forgive sins? Yes, they do. Now, Jesus actually does have the power to forgive sins. That's what makes his situation different. But they were right to say that it's blasphemy for a man to claim the power to forgive sins because only God can do that. Unfortunately for them, Jesus was God, so he wouldn't qualify. Now, the second way uh, that Jesus was was accused of committing blasphemy was when he was standing before the trial of Caiaphas. And they asked him if he was the son of God. And he told them that he was. He told them that he was not in those exact words. But he told them that he was the son of God. And they accused him of blasphemy. Even Caiaphas, he tore his garment, something the high priest is not supposed to do. That actually condemned himself to death. But Jesus was accused of blasphemy because he was calling himself God. Now, does the papacy do that? Well, yes, they do. They claim, in fact, in the, in the Middle Ages, the papacy was addressed as Lord God the Pope. Lord God the Pope. Think about that. That's blasphemy, folks. That's blasphemy. And let me just read to you one quote here. This is from Pope Innocent III from 1198 to 1216 was his reign. And you can find this in the Decretals of Gregory IX, Book 1, Chapter 3. According to Pope Innocent III, he said, We may, according to the fullness of our power, dispose of the law and dispense above the law those whom the lord the the pope of rome doth separate it is not a man that separates them but god for the pope holdeth place on earth not simply of a man but of the true god folks again that's blasphemy that's blasphemy so who's the beast clearly it's rome and it says in verse 2 of Revelation chapter 13, 
And I saw, and the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power, his seat, and great authority. Does the papacy have great authority? Yes. Does he have a seat? Yes, he does. In fact, the Pope is considered to be infallible when he's speaking from, quote, the seat, ex cathedra, is what they call it. They also say that he holds the place of Peter's chair. He sits in Peter's chair, so he has a seat. And the Bible says that the dragon gave him his power, his seat, and great authority. So the devil actually gives this, this system its power. But also, just keep in mind, there's a secondary application there to the dragon because one of the, one of the mascots, if you will, of the Roman Empire was the dragon. They had a flag that had the golden eagle on it, but they also had another flag that had the dragon on it as well. These were both symbols for the Roman Empire. And the other, the feet of a bear, mouth of a lion, and that had the body of a leopard, that points us back to those other uh, beasts, which are in Daniel chapter 7, which shows that those beasts never actually died, but they actually amalgamated into Rome. And that's exactly what you see in history. Rome, that's what Rome does. They, they don't, they don't um, abolish some other religion. They absorb it. And, and take parts of it. That's what they did with Christianity as well. And they allowed people to have their own old pagan uh, idolatry and, and false worship, and then they baptized it and Christianized it. This was the problem that the reformers were having during the days of the Reformation. And now verse 3 of Revelation chapter 13, it says, And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and the whole and all the world wondered after the beast. So, the fact of the matter is, did the papacy receive a deadly wound? Yes. In 1798, the papacy was deposed. His papal states were taken away. However, was that deadly wound ever healed? Yes, it was. In 1929, with the pact between Mussolini and then later Hitler... Uh, which reinstated the papacy as a sovereign political power in the earth and even paid them money for the papal states, which were taken from them by France in 1798. So it was directly linked with 1798. And again, who fits? The Roman Catholic Church system and the papacy. So the mark of the papacy, that's what it's saying. If any man worship the beast in his image, if any man worship a false Sabbath that's associated with Roman Catholicism and receive this mark in their forehead or in their hand, they shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Now, what is the beast's mark? Again, they will tell us. If you go to C.F. Thomas, he was the chancellor of Cardinal Gibbons, and this was a letter written in November 11th, 1895. It says, of course, the Catholic Church claims that the change was her act. It could not have been otherwise, as none in those days would have dreamed of doing anything in matters spiritual, ecclesiastical, and religious without her. This act, and they're talking about the change from Sabbath, Saturday, to Sunday worship, this act is a mark of her ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters, according to 
the Chancellor of Cardinal Gibbons, C.F. Thomas, this, this act, or Sunday worship, is a mark of her ecclesiastical power. Another quote, this is from Catholic Record, September 1st, 1923 in Ontario. It says, Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observed is proof of that fact. Again, according to them, their mark of authority is Sunday. Now, it says you can receive this in your forehead or in your hand. What does that mean? Again, we're, we're not left to doubt. If we go to Deuteronomy chapter 11, and if you really got to read the whole chapter to get the full context, you can also read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and get the same, the same ideas here. And many times when I've presented this before, I, I usually, I usually present, um, I usually present it from Deuteronomy chapter 6, but I'm going to present it from chapter 11 today. And I'm going to read from verses 13 through 18. It says, And it shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently unto my commandments. So what's the issue here? Commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and your soul. And I will give you rain in your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and, be sh and he shut up the heavens, that there be no rain, and that the land yield not her fruit, lest ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul. So what's everything that's being talked about here? Well, it started off. In verse 13, if ye shall diligently hearken unto my commandments, and it talks about the Lord's blessings and the Lord's cursings for not following those commandments. All right, so that's the context right up into this point. So therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart, your soul. What words? The commandments. The commandments specifically are the words that are being spoken of here. Now listen to what it says in the second half of verse 18 of Deuteronomy chapter 11. It says, And bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. So right between your eyes, in other words, your forehead, and then bind, bind the commandments for a sign upon your hand. If you go to some Jews today, you'll find that they do exactly that. They have the phylacteries, and the commandments, and they, they wrap them around their hands their, and, and kind of wrap it around down their arm, their forearm a bit. It's I think it's a nice gesture, but I don't think that's what God meant. These are symbolic of knowing and believing, and then whatever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, your actions. So you can receive the mark of the beast either in the forehead or in the hand it's not a barcode it's not an RFID chip it's not anything like that at all some of those things might come down to might come down the pike they might happen like some people say with the vaccine oh the vaccine's the mark no it's not 
No, it's not. Now, it might be conditioning for it, but it is not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast has to do with worship. And if you look at the first angel's message, you know that it's talking about the Sabbath. So this is a false Sabbath. Not anybody's false Sabbath. The beast's false Sabbath. The beast's false Sabbath is Sunday. And you keep the commandments of God in your forehead or in your hand, in your actions and in your beliefs. And you can also keep the mark of the beast, which is also commandment related, just like this, this example here. You can either do it or you can believe it. It doesn't matter. All you need to do is one or the other. You can either believe it and do it. You have to do it. That's it. But then, now i got to kind of jump through here because we're really running out of time. But it says in the, um, the last team, it says that you shall be tormented. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Now, forever and ever in that context means until it is consummated, until it is complete. So they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So they have no rest, day nor night. So as they're burning, there's no, there's no pause, there's no break, there's no recess. They burn until they are fully consumed. And again, that's an oversimplification, but I, I, I want to get through this last part here. It says, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So again, <laughs> I think it's just so beautiful because if you didn't get it in, in the first angel's message, and you didn't get it in the third angel's message in the first part there talking about worship, commandments, the false Sabbath and all that, it points it it just makes it so clear for you at the end it says just keep the here here's the patience of the saints these are the folks that are going to be god's people in the last days those who keep the commandments of god and have the faith of jesus and according to selected messages book 3 page 172 we'll read this quote and we'll close out for today the third angel's message is the proclamation of the commandments of god and the faith of jesus christ the commandments of God have been proclaimed, but the faith of Jesus Christ has not been proclaimed by Seventh-day Adventists as of equal importance. The law and the gospel go going hand in hand. I cannot find language to express this subject in its fullness. The faith of Jesus. It is talked of, but not understood. What constitutes the faith of Jesus? That belongs to the third angel's message. Jesus becoming our sin-bearer, that he might become our sin-pardoning Savior. He was treated as we deserve to be treated. He came to our world and took our sins that we might take his righteousness and faith, and faith in the ability of Christ to save us amply and fully and entirely is the faith of Jesus. Wow. So righteousness by faith that we might take his righteousness, right? And give our sins in, in exchange. Righteousness by faith is the heart and soul of the third angel's message that's amazing to me so i hope that it helps everybody understand a little better what the three angels messages are 
and therefore what the messages that we are to be giving in these last days they have to do with talking about apostate protestantism talking about the judgment hour talking about the investigative judgment going on now talking about keeping God's commandments righteousness by faith the false Sabbath the identification of the Antichrist not pulling punches on that either not watering down messages but just calling sin by its name declaring God's enemies by their names the Antichrist the papacy the mark of the beast all these things and then of course diet and health and everything hinges on the first angel so if it's important in the first angels message it's important in the third angels message that's why many times if you read mrs. white she'll say that the third angels message encompasses the first two angels messages because they're all connected together the third angels message is directly connected with the first and second they're all interconnected that way but especially the third um, so the, the, this is what we are to be talking about this is what we're this is our work to do warn people about God's indignation and his wrath that's coming upon the earth and that we might keep the commandments and have the faith of Jesus so th that's that's what we got to do folks and in the midst of all the stuff that's going on right now there's no better time to trust in God. I'm Cody Moore, and you've been listening to Truth Triumphant Radio. God bless.